Doran Zeilberger is a mathematician at Rutgers University known for his work in combinatorics as well as his strong opinions on the math establishment. This is Doran Zeilberger. I'm Duncan Gammy. You're listening to Duck Tech. Uh, all right. I'm here with Doran Zeilberger. Uh, thank you very much for joining me today. Yeah, welcome. It's a pleasure to share my views with interesting people like you. Thank you. Um, so I, I got introduced to you because of your opinion on the Fields Medal. And for people listening who may not know, the Fields Medal is oftentimes referred to as the Nobel Prize of Math. It's for people under 40. Um, but you criticized it um, and the process by which people receive these awards on, on similar grounds to what you sometimes hear of uh, spoken by like the, the man on the street. Like, ah, yeah. you know, what, what are these problems even good for? It's all, you know, a bunch of, you know, arcane little problems that nobody cares about. And I thought it was interesting to hear that coming from you since you're a mathematician. Um, yeah. And you said in your post about it that you yourself could not see um, what it was all, you know, quote, good for. So maybe you could just talk a little bit about that to get us rolling here. Um, what made you say that? No, I think it's very sad. Uh, you know, in physics, uh, often when you try to maximize something, you get into a maximum, a local maximum that is far from optimal. And you just stuck there. So modern mathematics has gotten stuck in a non-optimal place and uh, location. And in large part, uh, it's due to cultural reasons. And Fitz Medal is one of them, is just to continue the same old uh, so-called mainstream mathematics that is an artifact of the fact that until recently, 50 years ago, every all mathematics was human-made. And the problems that people picked are problems that are humans can do because even Swiss medalists can only do so far so much because humans are very, very limited creatures. So it's uh, that inertia and a, a, a holdover from a non-optimal past. So the kind of problems that they're interested in is just the same old. And usually in the committee of the Swiss medals, they are former Swiss medalists. So they're only interested in this uh, to them, very interesting, but from the global view, uh, then it's intrinsically uh, are not that interesting. And in 50 years and possibly sooner, all the so-called mainstream mathematics will be subsumed and computer generated and will be considered uh, completely trivial and non-interesting because the kind of problems that are chosen are geared to the culture of human-generated mathematics that also logically is philosophically flawed, but that's a different matter. It, yeah, so when you say that in the future, all mathematics uh, will be, uh, at least in some part, computer-generated, this is something yeah. that I think a lot of people struggle with, where if you look at certain human activities, like, uh, say, marathon running, no one really feels bent out of shape that they know a machine can run faster than them. Nobody yeah, really cares, you know, but in something like chess, um, 
there was sort of a sense of loss when Deep Blue wound up beating Gary Casper. Yes, yes. So, yeah, they, I, I'm glad you mentioned it. Uh, one of my favorite anecdotes is one of the greatest uh, linguists in Israel uh, in the 1960s, Yeshua Barilel. He was a pioneer in formal languages and also a great philosopher. He wrote a little uh, popular book about uh, AI and the title was artificial intelligence, its promises and its limitations. And then he told about the checkers program that just beat the champion of Connecticut. And uh, there was a big breakthrough in the early 60s, I guess. And uh, but then there was a rematch and as uh, a champion of Connecticut uh, won again uh, the title. But then he said, ironically, Maybe, maybe one day checkers will be a computer will be the computer as the best checker player in the world. But never, ever, ever in chess. This is something that humans don't have to worry. For all those people who are worried about computers taking over, uh, then they don't have to worry about it. And he was mocking these people who think the so-called strong AI at the time. Who, so there was a the point of it. That's the limitations, the in, right. intrinsic limitations of AI. Of course, that was, was before the transistor, or just well before they didn't know what the transistor can do and all of this. So you, you don't have to. He's still a great man, great man. So, uh, but is that an example that you have to be careful about your predictions? Right, and, and I think. Do you, um, well, actually, let me ask you. Do you think that that is part of the reason why these field medalists and sort of like the elite of, of the math establishment are so reluctant to admit that uh, computers will sort of replace them? Of course, it's only human nature. They don't want to be replaced. I don't blame them, and so, so I definitely don't blame them. I sympathize with them, unfortunately. Uh, and maybe uh, lucky for them, if they're uh, not that young, they may still die with that illusion. If they are really young, then they may be up for disappointment. But still, they can always, they can always find something uh, that humans can do. So they always change, they always modify. Uh, so the so-called human supremacist uh, can always find something that humans are better. So. So I'm not that much worried about the disappointment. We can always adjust. Yeah, yeah, and I'm curious, when you said that the problems that the Fields medalists are solving, and you pointed out also that none of their, their the papers for which they were awarded the Fields medal, none of them required any kind of computer assistance, which seems amazing yes. in the year 2018, let alone 2022. Yeah, that's a good point, yeah. Um, and do, do you think on some level, I heard someone else make this point about philosophers and also about string theory, that there are these things that you can call like an intelligence trap where brilliant people, because uh, clearly if these people are winning Fields Medal, they're not, they're, they're certainly of not. Course not. Of course not. Yeah. They're, probably, they're smarter than me. Yeah, of course. In and, um, <laughs> they're smarter, but not wiser. Okay. Sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Um, and the, these sort of questions um, engage really smart people's minds, but it ultimately turns out, if you take a step back, that they're really just like um, really complex crossword puzzles. Like they're, they're, yeah. they're, not, 
they're not really for anything. Um, is, is there any, <clears throat> what, what do you think would be a non-trivial problem? What, what makes these problems trivial? <clears throat> well, in, in, in the sense, in the generic sense, that a little bit uh, snuggly, uh, if since a human can do it, anything a human can do with its limited uh, uh, computing power is in the future will be considered uh, trivial in, in that sense. And uh, of course, right now, uh, computers uh, is still at the very beginning and can only do so many things. But also in the future, uh, computers will be able to do, uh, will be able to top any fifth medalist. But the, but the smart, a wise computer would not be interested. These problems will seem so pointless to a smart computer or the, the person who, uh, who runs it. So uh, the best analogy is a religion. Uh, still people, if you, you don't believe, uh, in, if, you're, if you're an atheist, uh, you don't see the point of studying uh, the scriptures. But if you are religious, for you it's everything. So you can sympathize with people who study, for example, the Talmud or the New Testament really, really uh, deeply. And, uh, and they're not stupid, of course. Uh, they have this great uh, uh, priest and great rabbis and great uh, imams who study religion. And it's very, very complex. Uh, uh, literary and also logically, so they're extremely, extremely smart. They, they, so, but if you're an atheist, uh, you, you see me just pointless. Uh, but for them, it's everything. So, in some sense, also mathematics is a kind of religion with its own dogmas. Yeah, and one of the things that you um, you also critique that I thought was really interesting is the method of proof uh, that is that is sort of the standard in math right now where it's very linear and everything, no matter how trivial, I mean, there's, of course, there's a, a sort of a famous proof of one plus one equals two, which yes. is a curiosity, of course. Yeah. Um, but it's, I'm pretty sure the original proof of it was, uh, I could be wrong. I think it's like hundreds of pages or some. some yes, yeah, from, yeah, from Russell and Whitehead. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and um, again, curious, interesting. I'm glad it exists. Um, but certainly, uh, I, I think you're probably right that this should not be the standard. So what is it exactly about this? I, I think you refer to it as the difference between the Greek and the Babylonian method. Yes, thank you for getting it, yeah. Um, so could you maybe enlighten us as to that difference? Yeah, sure. So I, I believe the math should be more, uh, an exp exp uh, more uh, like a physics and uh, more like a real science. Right now, it's not a science. Is just a literary a game or some kind of either a game or a sport uh, or religion. It's everything, but it's not a science. And we had this dogma that I really, really get uh, annoyed when people say oh, it, we still don't know whether the Goldbach conjecture is true or false. They mean we don't have a mathematical proof, but uh, there are so many heuristic proofs that uh, so many convincing arguments. So the probability that the Goldbach conjecture, for example, is false, or even the Riemann hypothesis uh, is false, uh, is much, much less uh, than uh, that uh, we, we are 
simulations in some video game of some extraterrestrial people. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. so the standards in physics, that's why I admire really physics, as they don't care uh, so much about mathematic rigor. So uh, it was really amusing. Uh, usually a proof by definition was mathematical proof, but some people already realize a uh, so-called mathematical physicist that uh, are in the border between math and physics. So sometimes uh, they call it rigorous proof. So a, a few uh, days ago on Wednesday, we had a seminar by a field medalist that unlike most field medalists, I really uh, do like his work, uh, Martin Herrer. So what he does is more to my taste. It has some commercial discrete flavor. So he mentioned, we don't have a mathematical proof. So he, at least he recognized that it's not a redundancy to say mathematical proof. So you have uh, physical proofs or non-rigorous proofs, but as far as knowing the truth, mathematical proof in many, many cases, of course, there are exceptions uh, where you don't know either way, but in for most famous open problems, the Riemann hypothesis, Goldbach, and the rationality of any of the famous constants that there's no mathematical proof, but it's obviously, obviously true. So, uh, so the notion of truth uh, is really distorted. It says they don't have a mathematical proof. So it's just a game that you may like it, uh, but it's really a game. It has nothing to do with, with truth. And if somebody tomorrow proved the, for example, the Goldbach conjecture is probability of truth will be not any larger than this probability. It's both a 99.9999999999 with 1,000 lines after percent true. And if somebody finds a mathematical proof, there's a good chance that the proof has gaps. So uh, especially probably be very complex and many, many human proofs have gaps and are incomplete. So, uh, so if, if it does add to the truth value, it would be really, really insignificant. Okay, maybe instead of 99.9 with a thousand uh, nines after, it'd be another nine uh, if somebody <laughs> does for, but it's completely pointless from a epistemological point of view as far as knowing whether it's true or false. But so of course, it's a game. Yeah. How, how did they used to construct proofs? Like, I, I know the Egyptians uh, had basically a working version of Pythagorean theorem, but I don't know if they had a proof written. No, no, right. That's a Greek. That's a Greek. as a pernicious influence of Greek mathematics. Uh, the Babylonians and Egyptians and ancient Chinese, and to some extent, uh, India, they had uh, experimental proofs, empirical proofs. It was an empirical science. And the notion of proof goes to Euclid and its disciples, and it's still the ruling religion, unfortunately. I'm curious, though, would, because I think the counter argument to, to this idea that you need rigorous uh, proofs yeah. is that when you get into subjects that are so arcane and so divorced yeah. from physical reality, like you, you could do, um, you know, just an experimental proof of the Pythagorean theorem and, and yes. do a hundred, you know, triangles and decide, okay, this seems pretty reliable. <laughs> but if you're talking about something like, um, 
you know, like the Riemann hypothesis or, uh, you know, can we can we fold a, a sphere in five dimensions such that, it you know, it, it seems as though you do need a different set of tools or am I wrong? Oh, yeah, no, that's a, that's a good point. Uh, I'm talking about the really interesting problems and the really interesting open problems. Of course, mathematics uh, has uh, gotten into all this uh, esoterica things for which uh, it's not concrete and some of it is really hypothetical. It's completely nonsense uh, from a ontological uh, point of view. So, uh, and for, you know, for, for some of this, of course, uh, you cannot test it on a computer. So it's not possible, but in my humble opinion, this kind of mess is not that interesting. And this has to do it to, to make a living uh, or that the sport that this has developed this culture and it's a literary, uh, maybe it's a, it's a literary genre and if you like it, that's fine. But what um, one interesting development in, in sort of the world of computing and math um, that you've talked about is the Ramanujan machine. Yes, uh, yes, I really like it. Can you tell us a little bit about that? It seems like it's it's a computer that's sort of just like creating conjectures for other people to solve. Yes, it's a very systematic way and very clever. The concept itself existed for a long time. So uh, the novelty was the implementation and the packaging. And I don't want to have the feelings and the marketing. They are really very, very good in, in marketing. And but that's very important. Uh, it, uh, it's really, really unusual for any mass paper to make it into nature. So uh, a part of it, it really, it really, really deserves to be there. But anybody else uh, would not have gotten in. So they're also very good in marketing, which is that as well. Uh, it just makes people aware about this great uh, toolbox of making interesting conjectures that could be challenging also to make proofs. And don't get me wrong, uh, I still like uh, also rigorous proofs, uh, but if possible, those generated by computer. I'm not saying that to prove the Riemann hypothesis, uh, you just uh, check. It's still, I, I love to have a proof of the Riemann hypothesis, a rigorous proof, a logically rigorous proof. Uh, not, not because uh, it would be uh, more true, true before, that because it's a nice challenge, it's a nice puzzle, but the game that I like to play is using computer also to prove, uh, give rigorous proof. But unlike the usual computer uh, automatic theorem proving uh, that is logic based, uh, to be honest, I don't really, although I do appreciate the efforts, I don't like it because it's just aping the old methodology of uh, Euclid and later on uh, Russell and Whitehead and the teaching to the computer. So they still use the same methodology. So my kind of proof is really uh, using computer algebra. So it's really my favorite kind of math is generalized high school algebra that is really, really concrete and uh, that you can prove it. Uh, and, but if something is complex, you need a computer to prove it. But it is still a rigorous proof. So uh, nobody would doubt. Like a focal theorem in the beginning, uh, people uh, were skeptical, uh, but now many people still don't like the proof and would love to have a human-generated proof, but at least reluctantly, they agree that the proof is valid. So I hope that the Riemann hypothesis uh, would be proved similarly to the four-color theorem. 
Well, I'm not using logic, but more uh, algebra. And, and when, going back to what you said earlier about if we had sort of a human generated or any kind of proof of the Riemann hypothesis, it yeah. would add, you know, one, like it, it would add a 9,000th uh, percentile to yes, that is truth. But it'd be nice, be a nice game in this game of proving because I still like, don't get me wrong. I still like, well, but well, this is a game. But my, my question is, a lot of people would say, well, why isn't it 100% certain? You know, I thought there was, we were looking at 100% certainty in math. And you even suggested earlier in this conversation that human generated proofs probably have gaps. Um, it, it, our, our notion of certainty in math seems to be, by a lot of mathematicians, very uh, inviolable. Like this is. It's not even 100%, uh, no. as you know that. So uh, it, it's much too. Uh, it is the same. It's the same truth value that the Pythagorean theorem uh, is true. It's, it's possible that we were programmed uh, by some uh, aliens uh, to not find the gap in the Pythagorean theorem. So even the Pythagorean theorem, there's nothing like a hundred percent certainty. Right. So ninety-nine point nine 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 is pretty good. And it seems like mathematicians. Uh, a good number of them are not quite as happy for some of the reasons we've outlined um, about these ideas. Like uh, a guy who's been on this program before, Scott Aronson, you you had sort of a, an online- Yeah, yeah, yeah. He, he's the one I, I love to hate and he loves to hate me. Okay. Well, let, for people who, who don't know, Scott, um, he's uh, he does a lot of work in computer science and you on the- uh, Alan Turing's 100th anniversary, I think of his death or birth or something like that. Yeah. Um, you made a post about the halting problem, which basically right. you don't know. It's completely it's... meaningless. So okay. Turing, Turing did a great, great service. But... He proved that, the, Go ahead. Uh, main, oh, that uh, oh, uh, most of mathematics or the current dogma uh, and the notion of uh, infinity is completely flawed. That's what he proved. He didn't prove the halting. So the, the housing problem as stated uh, is completely meaningless. So it's an empty, but it, can, but it was proved by contradiction. Sorry, uh, sorry to interrupt. Just for people who don't know, because otherwise people, if, if they don't know what the halting problem is, or listen, they might be a little confused. Basically, it's asking whether a computer can decide if it will stop or not on some point. Right, but, but, but let me tell you what's wrong with it. And it's so obvious. It's like the emperor is naked. But of course, uh, this religious fanatic, Scott, by the way, Scott Aronson gave a Zoom talk, Colloquium, uh, two, two days ago, uh, it, the same day. So I, I, there were two talks by Martin Heyer, who I really, really admire, and by Scott Aronson, that I admire his intelligence, but I despise his outlook to mathematics. He talked about a so-called busy, busy, a busy beaver problem, the same one I critiqued uh, in, in this one. And uh, so, uh, it made me realize even more how meaningless uh, the busy beaver problem it is based on the notion of the halting problem. So I tell you what's wrong with it. Uh, the halting problems uh, ask, would the computer, uh, will you, you use a Turing machine, but you can use it on any computer. Question, uh, is there an algorithm that inputs some code in any of your favorite language and uh, outputs uh, yes, if and only if it will ever stop running, if it ever halt with an input. Well, for the decision problem, either it will ever 
they ever finish with answer yes or no. And but what does it mean? Will it ever halt? Does it does there exist a number of steps that it a uh, capital N it will halt in capital N steps? So you have a whole infinite set of things we decide between infinite and things. And since I'm a finitist, this is completely nonsense. And uh, a priori, uh, uh, some so-called infinite statements superficially uh, look, uh, uh, can be made sense. For example, for any two integers, A and B, A plus B equals B plus A. This is true for, but instead of saying by the phrase, true for every positive integer, this is a completely a nonsense, complete nonsense. There's no infinite supply of in the infinite uh, integers. What you should say for symbolic A and B, A plus B equals B plus A. So to all, all the integers that exist, uh, which are only finitely many of them, it's true. And it's also true symbolically because uh, Mathematica or Maple in my case uh, can manipulate symbols and can do lots of things. So a plus b to the power two equals a squared plus two ab plus b squared. For example, that it is true for every every two numbers a and b is a philosophically stupid, a wrong, not even wrong, meaningless. Let, let, let me just break down a little bit what you're saying then. So in yeah. the case of the halting problem, you're saying at, Turing assumes in his proof that you have. For instance, this computer has infinite memory. And what you're saying- yes, right. you infinite practice... tape and infinite time, infinite space and infinite time, exactly. Both right. of them are stupid assumptions. But, but here, let, let me, let me, let me uh, as a counterpoint, when you say yeah. making math closer to a science, yeah. uh, for instance, there are plenty of experiments in science where they say, okay, assume there's no friction on this space. And yeah. of course, there's no, there's no world in which there's no friction uh, on some, you know, rolling plane, let's say. Right, right. It, yeah, it's, it's useful. Yeah. It's useful as, as a mental of course, experiment. Of course, of course. I, yeah. I use infinity all the time. As long as you keep it, it's only a way of speech and a, a way of uh, of communicating. Uh, sure, the way of speech is very convenient. Look at my papers. I have lots of infinity. Even when I teach, uh, I use the word infinity. But you should take it with a grain of salt. And you know in the background that everything could be rephrased in fanatistic terms. To actually do it at every step would be very tedious once you know the generic way. So the halting problem version that makes sense uh, for any given uh, uh, capital T, does the following program halt in less than or equal capital T number of steps? That's a meaningful, meaningful question. And you can make capital T specific or you can make capital T symbolic. So you can even rephrase it uh, but, for example, the Cantor famous diagonal argument also uh, could be used uh, to prove that to the power n is bigger than n. So that's basically what, what it does. So what he proved basically is what to the power aleph zero is strictly bigger than aleph zero. So this is complete nonsense. But the proof itself proves for any finite n the, the obvious identity uh, inequality that to the power n is bigger than n if n is bigger than one let, let, let me let me ask you something um you, you said once that the whole notion of proof 
at some point is going to lose its certainty and the keyword yeah. algorithm will inherit yes. that. Yes. What, what exactly uh, do you think that's going to look like? Is it going to be artificial intelligence? Is it going to be quantum computing? Uh, something else, combination of these things? How uh, exactly? Yeah. Good, good, good question. Now, quantum computers, are, I think, uh, also is a big bubble. Uh, they can make that theory about it, but uh, I don't think it will become. Uh, no, no, what I mean, uh, uh, in the future, there'll be two kind of theorems. I think that for which uh, we only have an experimental proof, for which there is no real proof, uh, rigorous proof, and still computers will be able to generate lots of rigorous proofs. So, uh, but uh, in the traditional uh, way that mathematicians do, uh, that's for fun. I, I see. And, and, and sort of um, closing out here, um, yeah. the, the last thing I wanted to ask you about, and this is something that uh, scares some mathematicians, certainly, yeah. but also I think could give pause to everyday people because yeah. If, if math is replaced by computers, okay, well, is there a world in which there's a, a computer that is as good or better of a novelist as Tolstoy? And if so, yeah. then, you know, all these, these proclamations that, oh, in the future, AI is going to replace all these jobs. But, you know, then yeah. people can do creative things. It's like, okay, well, as we sort of talked about in the beginning of, of this podcast, there are people who are fine running marathons and having yeah. a machine run faster than them. There are people who are less fine uh, playing chess um, yeah. and a computer is better than them. But neither of those activities has an output. Whereas something like novel writing, songwriting, or even generating proofs, these have yeah. outputs. And yeah. the, the creative process is a big part of it, but it, the, the process is almost meaningless without generating some output. And if there's a computer that can do it better than you, I think that could lead to some kind of spiritual crisis for a lot of people. So yeah. my question then is, do you think there's any place, ultimately, let's say 100, 500 years from now, assuming civilization yeah. continues to advance, <laughs> do you think there's any place for human beings uh, in the future of math? Uh, on, on, well, people, people stay, as you said, people stay on marathons and there's a creation and there'll be other, there'll be fifth medals and Abel prizes for the computer category and it'll be for, uh, for, uh, for the humans. Like in sports, uh, you have divisions and so humans can still have fun. No, they get used to it. They get used to so many things. Humans are very adaptable. Assuming that they still exist, they get used to, uh, uh, they get used to the uh, initial disappointment or humiliation of being replaced. Uh, so they just learn to live with it, I think. Uh, they can still enjoy doing it for fun. I mean, Sudoku, my computer can do a Sudoku puzzle in uh, five seconds. And it, my computer doesn't have any difference between what's labeled easy and what's labeled extra difficult. It takes the same five seconds to do it. So we still do Sudoku. I do it sometimes. And I still enjoy it and get satisfaction. So I don't think so I can still do proofs for fun. So it's not that depressing. And write novels for fun also and get satisfaction for doing it. But we have to learn that we are 
inferior. <laughs> Doran, I think on that note, uh, it's a good note to end it on. Uh, sure, thank you so much for talking. Yeah, my pleasure. And so for people who want to uh, learn more about you, um, read uh, some of your opinion pieces, where can they find you? Go to my homepage, uh, Google, Doran Zabago, and okay. look at my opinions. I'm about to write another opinion about uh, Scott Aronson's uh, talk two days ago and uh, maybe adding more, uh, more insight about why it's complete, stupid, so-called... Uh, <laughs> the so-called a uh, busy beaver problem okay interesting thanks so much Alrighty. thank you very much have a good day okay thank you bye-bye thank you bye-bye thank you to doran zeilberger and thanks for listening to dunk tank i'm duncan gammy see you next time